0: Father, we come this morning with a keen awareness that our sins are indeed many, and yet we come with a keen awareness that as many as our sins are multiplied, Lord, your mercy meets us every time, that you call all to come and find rest in King Jesus, and that when we do, the depths of mercy that we are shown are inexhaustible. And because of this, when we come to your word and seek to know you, you make yourself known. And so I pray this morning that as we come to your word in Matthew chapter 12, that you would indeed make known to us the depth of your mercy towards us in Christ Jesus and the depth of mercy that you want to display in us towards one another. I pray that you would refresh hearts that are weary and downcast. I pray that you would blow on embers that are smoldering and that you would straighten reeds that are bent. That you would refresh and renew us as your people through your word this morning as we read it together and as I proclaim it. I thank you that you work through these means to make us into a people fitting for the mission that you've called us to. A people at rest in Jesus and bringing that rest to the world. So would you do these things, we pray, as we go to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, friends. We are in Matthew chapter 12. We are continuing this small section of Matthew. Between Matthew 10 and Matthew 13 Matthew 10 Jesus gave his disciples instructions as he sent them out into the world and Matthew 13 Jesus is going to begin to speak in parables and talk about a varied response to his ministry and between those two things as Jesus disciples go out into the world and experience opposition And as Jesus explains where that opposition comes from we see in Matthew 11 And 12 more and more increasing conflict against jesus as king bringing his kingdom the conflict we see today is between jesus and the pharisees and the occasion of that conflict is the question of sabbath rest the question of how does the sabbath rest commanded by god relate to law keeping and jesus as lord of the sabbath we're going to see that as we read through this text, we're going to read Matthew 12, 1 to 21 this morning, and we're going to see essentially three scenes kind of describe that relationship and unpack that relationship. And in verses 1 through 7, or through 8, excuse me, 1 through 8, we'll see Jesus in the grain fields, and the Pharisees come up to him and see his disciples gleaning from the grain fields and say, that's not lawful to do. And this will introduce the idea of Sabbath and ask us, help us ask the question, what is indeed lawful when it comes to the Sabbath? And then Jesus follows these Pharisees into the synagogue in verses 9 through 14. And there's another confrontation as they ask him if it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus reveals the true nature of the Sabbath as he heals this man with the withered hand. And then we'll see kind of a closing scene as the Pharisees go off and plot to destroy Jesus. And as Jesus goes off and continues to heal. We'll see that all of what Jesus is doing is in fulfillment of prophecies spoken long ago in the book of Isaiah. And these prophecies actually give a preview of what Sabbath rest and the purpose of Sabbath looks like. As we read through, keep your eye out for those scenes and notice how Jesus talks about Sabbath and then we'll look at it together as we walk through let's read Matthew 21 1 to 12 or excuse me Matthew 12 1 to 21 Jesus uh, Matthew writes this about Jesus at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat but when the Pharisees saw it they said to him look Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. How to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him and he healed them all. And ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. My beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. And he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Amen. As we come to this text and see the first scene, we see Jesus in the grain fields with his disciples. And what is he doing in verse one? He's going through and plucking heads of grain to eat them. The what of what he was doing isn't the issue. We might think like Jesus is stealing stuff from other people's fields. It's not what's happening. Old Testament law actually allowed for this kind of gleaning that the disciples are doing. It was part of the requirement of God's people that they would leave areas of their field unharvested so that the poor and the sojourner and the hungry could come through and pluck grains like Jesus and his disciples are doing. The issue is not what, but when. Notice on verse 1, he's going through the grain fields when? On the Sabbath. And that's what the Pharisees see, and that's what they connect with and that's what they bring into conflict or bring to jesus attention in verse 2 the pharisees saw it and they say to him look your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the sabbath they make a big deal it seems like they might make a big deal out of nothing like so what if jesus disciples are hungry and they pick a few grain off the uh, out of the field or what if you and i are going by a berry patch on the sabbath and we pick a few berries to eat so what big deal this was an extremely big deal, though, to the people of, God, uh, of Jesus' day. Because of the Sabbath commands that God gave in the Old Testament, in order to understand what's going on here and why it is a big deal and what Jesus is teaching about the Sabbath through this, we need to actually go back and look at the Sabbath commandment. And so I want to turn to Exodus thirty one, twelve to 15. If you like, you can turn there with me or just listen. Exodus 31. 12 to 15. This is one of the places where God gives commands to his people through Moses about the Sabbath. Exodus 31, 12 to 15 says this. The Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Notice how serious Sabbath keeping is. If you violate it, you're put to death according to God's law in the Old Testament. Notice also that Sabbath keeping and the punishment for breaking the Sabbath required a community effort. It wasn't like someone broke the Sabbath and then put themselves to death, right? The, the idea was they broke the Sabbath and they were caught and then the community put them to death because of the violation of God's law and the requirement that the community of God be pure, Sabbath keeping was so important that it became a sign of national identity so that breaking the Sabbath became what might be equivalent in our day to burning the American flag, right? Some people would have no problem about that, but most people in America would have a serious problem with someone desecrating our flag because it's a symbol of our national identity. In the same way, these Pharisees saw Jesus and his disciples seemingly violating the Sabbath, and this was a big deal to them. Not only did it require death, But it was also an affront to them themselves. And yet we see in Matthew 12. Jesus brings out some other examples from the Old Testament. To show that Sabbath keeping is not merely about stopping doing work. These Pharisees are focused on Jesus and his disciples breaking the Sabbath. Because they're doing what they defined as work on the Sabbath day. And yet Jesus brings these examples showing that it's not merely about stopping from work. He says in verse three, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? Now, this is a story from first Samuel. First Samuel 21, David is fleeing from King Saul. He is God's new anointed king. God has God has taken the kingship from Saul and given it to David. And David is fleeing from Saul And his men are fleeing from Saul, and they come uh, to to the temple of the Lord, and they're looking for food, and they have nothing to eat. And there's no food available except the bread of the presence, and it's the Sabbath day, so the bread that they would put before the Lord in his temple, the priest would change that bread, and then the priest would eat that bread. So this is the only bread available, and David is able to eat that bread and his men as God's good provision for them. Which is in line with what god promised in giving his people rest that he would provide for them on the sabbath day as they sought rest in him somehow david and his Followers were able to not violate the sabbath by eating this bread that was supposed to be reserved for just the priests The priests themselves jesus turns to next in verse 5 When he says have you not read in the law how on the sabbath the priests in the temple profane the sabbath and are guiltless The book of Numbers, chapter 28, gives instructions for the priests on the Sabbath who are supposed to make sacrifices to the Lord. And yet, everybody's not supposed to do work. And yet, here are the priests doing this work of sacrificing to the Lord. And somehow, they are not violating the Sabbath. It's work that if they did it outside of the temple, would be of Sabbath violation. And yet, here they are, performing work in the temple which does not violate Sabbath. Jesus brings up these examples to show that there is more to Sabbath keeping than merely stopping from work. There's a concern about Sabbath keeping beyond just work. Sabbath is a sign of something greater. We heard this, if you think about it, in the Exodus 31 reading that I did just a minute ago. As God gave Sabbath to his people, he said, It's going to be a sign for you pointing to something. Pointing to what? That Yahweh is the one who sanctifies you. That God is the one who sanctifies you as his people. It's not an end in itself, in other words, but a pointer to something greater. The problem, though, is that the Pharisees have reduced Sabbath keeping to merely what is lawful. Notice in verse 2, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Notice also in verse 10, a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, is it lawful To heal on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were laser focused on what what is lawful when it comes to Sabbath keeping. The problem with that is God said you shall do no work on the Sabbath. But guess what? The Old Testament is very sparse in defining what it means to do work on the Sabbath. What constitutes work. And so the Pharisees in their effort to be lawful. In their effort to keep God's word. Had to come up with some idea of what it means to do work. And over the years, as tradition built upon tradition, eventually the Pharisees came up with a complex definition of what constituted work on the Sabbath, like being able to walk this far, but not this far, or like being able to write this many words, but not that many words, or like being able to eat something, but not pick something off the ground. Those kind of things, they had developed all of these rules to help them figure out what meant work and what meant not work. This led to a strict adherence to what is lawful. This focus on what is lawful. But because of that, they actually disregarded the more important question, which is not just what is lawful, but what is the meaning of the law? What is the aim of the law? What is the purpose of God's law? What is the purpose of Sabbath keeping? In doing this and missing that more important question, in, in focusing merely on what is work and what is lawful, the Pharisees actually made what was meant to be rest for God's people work. They made Sabbath keeping a burden. They made it so hard that Jesus, when he calls people to come to him in chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not just talking there about like those who like work manual labor jobs. He's talking about those who labor and are heavy laden under the strict definitions of work of the pharisees who have made sabbath rest a burden the pharisees are concerned with what is lawful but notice what jesus is concerned with verse 7 jesus says if you had known what this means i desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless who is the i in that sentence The eye is God, right? Jesus is concerned with what does God desire out of his people? Not merely what is lawful, but what is the purpose or meaning behind that law? Jesus aims at that question and he says the key to understanding that question is if you had known what this means in verse seven, right? If they had understood, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, the Pharisees would not have called out at Jesus's followers and said, you're breaking Sabbath law. In other words, that's what Jesus is saying. That means that this statement, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, is key to understanding the true meaning of Sabbath. This is a quote. You'll notice if you've got your ESV, it has little quotes around it. Or another translation probably has quotes around it. And you might see a footnote that says, hey, look at at, at Hosea 6, 6. The background for this quotation out of Hosea is that God's people were as Israel was basically forsaking the requirements of God's law that had to do with love of neighbor. And they were only focusing on the requirements of God's law that had to do with love of God or that expressed love of God, basically the sacrificial system. And so what they were doing is they were using the sacrifices as kind of a magic formula to try to make themselves right with God or try to appease God. They were doing pagan practices when it comes to relating to God, right? That's what the pagans do. Their gods become angry, and so they make sacrifices to make them happy, right? But God required something more out of his people. Remember why God formed a people in the first place. Genesis 12. What does it say about Abraham? It says, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and you will be blessed to be a blessing. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And through you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. God's people were called not just to be receivers of mercy, but extenders of mercy. And they had abandoned that in the time of Hosea. Likewise, Jesus is saying, Pharisees, you have abandoned that purpose. You have missed the point because of your focus on what is lawful rather than what is the meaning or aim of the law. And so because of their emphasis on what is lawful. The Pharisees themselves have made the Sabbath self-centered and merciless. We see that in what, how they respond on the Sabbath. Look at verse 10 for a second. Jesus goes on from there. This is the second scene. Enters the synagogue. And what, do they find? what does he find? A man with a withered hand. A man was there with a withered hand. Someone, someone crippled in their hand. And what do the Pharisees do? They see the man. And they say this, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him, accuse Jesus, right? So what are the Pharisees doing? They see someone in need of mercy and they use him as a prop in order to ask Jesus a theological question. That is that is heinous and wicked, right? They take this man who they could show mercy. They could even ask the healer who is here to heal him. And instead, because they are so focused on the question, what is lawful? They actually end up being merciless towards this man. And they ask Jesus a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Their heart is revealed. Because they're asking this question that they might accuse him. And Jesus, in his response, demonstrates that they are showing less compassion to this man than they would show to livestock. Right? He asked this question, like, which one of you, if, if 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 their sheep fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? They're treating this man as merely a prop with no concern for his mercy. They're doing exactly what Israel did in Hosea's time, right? They are trying to appease God by being lawful, and yet they are not extending the kind of mercy that he called them to extend as his people. Jesus sees right through it and he challenges them. Notice though this is what they were already doing. If you think back to verse 2, they see the disciples doing what? Gleaning. Right? What had God given the gift of gleaning as a cultural practice in Israel for to be merciful towards the poor, towards the sojourner, towards those who had nothing, which defines jesus disciples these days right he he told them to take nothing and that my father will provide for you and then they're walking through the field and what does the father do he provides through the means of this practice of gleaning god is providing jesus and his disciples mercy in the form of food and what do the pharisees do in their in their worry about adherence to the law they actually try to stop those disciples and jesus from receiving the mercy of the father by saying, hey, you can't do that to Sabbath. If the Pharisees zeal for upholding Sabbath, they're missing the purpose of Sabbath and actually stopping people from experiencing God's mercy. In their emphasis on what is lawful, the Pharisees have made Sabbath then a self-centered and merciless endeavor. And yet Jesus. Doesn't let this stand. He declares and does what is lawful. Look at verse 12 and 13. Jesus makes this argument, right? You would take care of your sheep. And how much more value is a man than a sheep? And then he shares this conclusion. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Right? This is the, this is the essence of the Sabbath. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then what does he do? He does good. He shows mercy to this man with the withered hand, right? Verse 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. You know what Jesus could have done? He could have just proven his theological point, right? He could have said, yeah, let's look at this man. Hmm, Should I heal? You know, is it lawful to heal or not? Yeah, it's totally lawful to heal. You You would save your sheep, right? And then walked away, right? That's probably what the Pharisees would have done given with the heart condition. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't use this man just as a prop, but he leans in and actually heals him. He actually demonstrates goodness, mercy, by healing the suffering man. In doing this, notice he's not negating the law, right? We know already from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And notice what he says in verse 12. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. See, we might be in danger if we're not careful of thinking the point of the Sabbath is to do good regardless of what the law says, right? And then we begin to define good by our own standards. Jesus doesn't do that, though. He doesn't say this man is valuable, therefore ignore the law. He says this man is valuable, created in God's image, therefore it's upholding the law to do good to this man. This is what the demands of Hosea 6 six which Jesus quotes in Matthew 12:7 are calling for. This is the intent of sabbath from the beginning. We see in the Old Testament that the command for God's people to observe the sabbath is not only for their good but it's for the good of those around them. They're commanded actually to give others rest on the sabbath. The sabbath commands like commands in Deuteronomy 5:13 to 15 include servants Male servants, female servants, they include livestock. They include those that sojourn among them. All are supposed to receive the goodness of Sabbath rest. The goodness of mercy in the midst of their toil. The man with the withered hand needed rest and Jesus brought that rest to him. As the true meaning of Sabbath. This brings us to what I think... The, the title of this sermon is the true aim of Sabbath rest. And this brings us to that true aim. That true aim. I think we can summarize it by saying that mercy is the true aim of Sabbath rest. Mercy is the true aim of Sabbath rest. What I mean by that is mercy, mercy, mercy both enjoyed on our part as God's people. Sabbath rest is given to God's people, right? This is why Jesus says, come to me in Matthew eleven twenty eight. That begins all of this, right? The the call from Jesus, Matthew 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Sabbath begins with mercy and joy, but it doesn't just stay there. It doesn't just remain there. The Sabbath is not just about mercy. The enjoyment of mercy on the part of God's individual people, right? The Sabbath is also about extending mercy. And that's what Jesus shows in this story. As he does what God desires, mercy, not sacrifice. As he does what God desires by showing mercy or doing good, as he says in verse 12, he is extending mercy As the true aim of Sabbath rest to this man and demonstrating for the Pharisees what the true meaning of the Sabbath is. After Jesus does and declares what is lawful, that mercy is this aim of Sabbath rest. Both parties leave. We see in verse 14 and 15. Right. In verse 14, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And in verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Both parties are leaving. One is leaving to plot evil. I think it's interesting to note, it doesn't seem like time has elapsed. And so it seems like the Pharisees are are going to do the work of plotting how to destroy Jesus on the Sabbath. They're so blind that they're willing to plot how to murder the Savior on the Sabbath. And they're willing to maybe even violate Sabbath a little bit for that sake. They're definitely not showing mercy. And yet Jesus, in verse 15 and following... Leaves and then continues to extend the kind of mercy and goodness that he's already been extending. He continues to heal all those who come to him. The third scene here we have then in verses 15 to 21. As everyone is dispersed, some to plot evil and some to do good. Jesus himself defines what is good. Because there's a problem here. There's a problem if, if it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath the question then becomes what is good, right? If it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath, what is good? This is the same problem that the Pharisees faced when they knew that they're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath, but what is work? We are prone to this problem as well. If we just take this text at face value and say, It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then we leave it to our own imaginations to define good. We will utterly err. Right? Either we individually will define good as it relates to us. So good is something I like and bad is something I don't like. Or we'll define good according to our culture. Good is things the culture would approve of. Or bad is things the culture would disapprove of. If we do that, we will end up calling evil good and good evil. Or we'll end up with a works-based righteousness of our own that asks, have I done enough good? Have I been good enough? We cannot let ourselves define what is good. We must instead let God, through this text, define the meaning of doing good on the Sabbath. And that meaning is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus does. Jesus Jesus says, first of all, in verses 6 to 8, That he himself is something greater. Something greater than the temple is here. He's greater than David. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than the temple. And he culminates that all in verse 8. The son of man is lord of the Sabbath. It is fitting that we would look to the one who is lord of the Sabbath. To define what it means to do good on the Sabbath. So let's look at what Jesus does. As he does good on the Sabbath. Let's look at what it looks like to extend mercy to others. In the way Jesus does. We've seen already him heal the man with the withered hand in verse 9. We see furthermore in verse 15. As many follow him. He heals them all. Right? This is the promise that Jesus gave back in 28. Come to me and I will give you rest. And they come to him. And what does he do? He gives them rest. He's faithful to extend this mercy to those who are hurting by healing them. He makes them whole. Notice also in verse 16, he orders them not to make him known. That's kind of a weird thing to do. And we haven't seen that yet in Matthew too much. It's much more prominent in Mark, this idea of what's called the messianic secret. This is this idea that Jesus tells people not to tell others about him. It seems contradictory to us because we know we're supposed to tell people about Jesus, right? Like part of the problem that's happening in Jesus' day is that there's a misunderstanding of what it means to be the Messiah. There's an expectation that he's going to be the conquering king who will slay his enemies and instill the throne of David. And he will do that, but he's doing that through sacrifice, right? Jesus is defining what goodness looks like and goodness for him looks like actually going and restoring rather than doing initially what john the baptist warned that he would do which is cut down with an axe right as he comes across these pharisees who are completely contradicting the word of god he doesn't destroy them and smite them right away right like that would be that would be within his purview to do but instead he extends mercy to them and he extends mercy to the crowds as well by meeting their needs and healing them but then ordering them not to make him known this is this is part of what he says fulfills Isaiah 42, this prophecy in verses 17 and following. We see in verse 19, the servant will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. In other words, he's not going to get into a shouting match with the Pharisees over what the meaning of Sabbath is. Instead, he's going to tell them, but then he's going to show it. He's going to show it, By his humbleness, by his meekness, by his using his power and authority to serve and to mend and to heal. And he does just that, right? That's what's described in a bruised reed he will not break. and a smoldering wick he will not quench. He's not going to take and disregard God's people who are failing to meet the purpose that they were created for. That's what Isaiah means when he talks about a bruised reed. A reed was used to measure stuff and a bruised one is... Another way of saying like a bent measuring stick. And the common practice for a bent measuring stick was to take that stick and break it and throw it away. Right? Get a new one. Jesus is not going to do that, though. Instead, he's going to extend mercy and goodness to those servants who aren't doing what they ought to. By showing them through his humble servanthood, what it looks like to truly extend mercy and goodness. In doing this, he's going to work to bring justice to victory as verse 20 says, this is the idea of Jesus bringing to bear or bringing to victory, bringing to consummation the goodness and righteous rule of God. This is not just like justice, like right decisions, but this is God's right reign in the earth. As Jesus brings his kingdom, he is bringing justice to victory. And this produces hope for Israel and the Gentiles. And he's doing it all through his humble servant life. That culminates in his substitutionary death and his triumphant resurrection. For Jesus doing good on the Sabbath looks like this. It looks like while his enemies go away and plot how to kill him. He goes to the weak and the needy and plots how to rescue them. That's what Jesus is doing. He works tirelessly to give rest to all who come to him. In doing this, he's fulfilling the true purpose of God's servant people, right? Given that purpose in Genesis 12, blessed to be a blessing through you will the nations be blessed. Forsaking that purpose in the course of forsaking Yahweh. And then in Isaiah, God bringing back this idea of his servant who will come and do these things for the sake of the the Gentiles. And Israel looks at herself and says, I'm not that. And God himself says, no, you're not, but I'm going to raise up a singular suffering servant who will do that and who will bring back to you the purpose that you were created for. Jesus is revealing the true purpose of what Sabbath rest was always meant to be, which is merciful rest that brings blessing to the nations. Jesus doesn't pit mercy and sacrifice against each other. By his very actions, he shows that through sacrifice, he's extending mercy. That's Jesus, though. What does it look like then for us to do that? Because that's what Jesus is calling. He's saying that to enjoy Sabbath rest, we ought to be like this. And yet we look at ourselves and we know we're not, right? And we look at the history of Israel and we know that Israel was supposed to be this servant. And yet Israel was not. I think the answer is found in the fact that Jesus extended mercy because of who he was in himself. And yet we extend mercy because of who we are in Jesus. In other words, the mercy that Jesus showed started with him. But the mercy that we show cannot start with us because we are not inherently merciful, right? We are inherently consumed with sin and self-centeredness. We are much more like the Pharisees than Jesus in this story. And so if all we have is ourselves, the mercy cannot start with us. The mercy has to begin somewhere else. And that mercy starts with who we are in Jesus. Doing good on the Sabbath then begins with our receiving mercy from Jesus. That's why. We have that text before chapter 12, where Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. We receive and enjoy mercy first. We begin with coming to Jesus himself and receiving good from him. The emphasis, notice, is entirely on Jesus' work as we talk about the servant in verses 17 to 21. It's about what he will do, not about what we do. That's what we receive is a servant who is beloved of the Lord, who acts like this and does this for us. The Sabbath, originally, remember, was a sign that Yahweh himself is the one that sanctifies his people. That sanctification, being the people of God and extending mercy to others, doesn't start with us. It starts with God and his work in us, sanctifying us through Jesus. Jesus frees us from the necessity of looking to our own work. Our own law keeping, our own strict adherence to what is lawful for are the basis of our sanctification. We look instead to what Jesus has done. We receive and enjoy his mercy as our righteousness. And yet the mistake that we often make is stopping there. It doesn't stop there. The Sabbath rest that we experience in God was never meant to stop with our own enjoyment of rest. The Sabbath rest that we experience in God was always meant to lead to extending mercy to others because that's what God created a people for is to extend his mercy and his goodness to all of creation. We are freed to do good flowing out of the grace that Christ has already shown us. When we experience his grace, the mercy that Jesus showed us was meant to be mercy, enabling mercy, mercy, compounding mercy. This means that Sabbath rest is both a promise, receive and enjoy mercy, and a command, extend mercy to others. We must remember, though, friends, that it's a promise before it's a command. We must remember that we receive mercy before we extend mercy. The Pharisees neglected that this was a promise first. They were really focused on it being a command And they thought they worked really hard to make sure they were careful to obey that command to the T. And in doing so, they missed the entire essence of it. Because they didn't start with first receiving that mercy and that rest from the Lord. Mercy received, mercy enjoyed, mercy extended. This is the true aim of Sabbath rest in Jesus. I want to conclude with one or two implications for us this morning. The first implication is that Sabbath is still relevant for us today, even much more than we think it is. Most of us, when we think about Sabbath, you know, if you read this text and you see the Sabbath controversy and you think, wow, that's a weird theological thing they really disagreed on back then. Because we think about Sabbath as something that we know, not for today, we don't have to observe it. It is true that our observance of Sabbath is different from the Old Testament. We don't stop everything like they did in the old testament but it is also equally true that the greater purpose behind sabbath rest is still incredibly relevant for us this purpose of both enjoying the mercy of god and extending that mercy to others remains the aim of sabbath is still present today and so sabbath is relevant for us today This aim is most clearly expressed. Secondly, this aim is most clearly expressed. On the Lord's day, it's not limited to that, but it is most clearly expressed on the Lord's day. This is why when we go through the New City Catechism and we read the question about the fourth commandment, which commands Sabbath, right? This question says, what does God require in the fourth commandment? And the answer we read is that on the Sabbath day. We spend time in public and private worship of God, rest from routine employment, serve the Lord and others, and so anticipate the eternal Sabbath. The content of that question and answer is not, it has nothing to do with us. The content is, what does it look like to enjoy that merciful rest from God and to extend that to others? Here's what it looks like, spending time in public and private worship of God, resting from routine employment. Serving the Lord and others and doing this all to anticipate the eternal rest that we receive from God. This is an aim most clearly expressed on the Lord's day, but it is not limited to the Lord's day. It's meant to embody the posture of our heart for the whole week. Listen to how one commentator puts it. He says this Sunday is the day symbolic of all days. For the purpose of all Christian liturgy is to express in a ritual moment... That which should be the basic stance of every moment of our lives. In other words, Sabbath wasn't given to God's people to say, one day out of seven, make sure you're merciful. One day out of seven, enjoy this merciful rest from God. The Sabbath was given to God's people to say, no, enjoy the merciful rest given to you by God and extend mercy to others every day of the week, and especially on the Sabbath. It was meant to embody the heart posture of God's people for every day. We are given one day a week to recalibrate our hearts to this posture. That's why we gather week in and week out on the Lord's day. We gather so that our hearts can be calibrated to enjoy the mercy of God extended to us. And to learn to extend it to one another most, uh, most immediately as we, as we interact with each other. But more broadly, as we interact with others on the Lord's day, our mind is meant to be centered on this. And then that flows out into extending and receiving mercy the other six days of the week. It is a good gift given to us by our creator. And it still has relevance for today. The last implication I want us to consider is this. Jesus must still define our work and rest. The Pharisees' problem, again, was looking away from God to define what it means to work and to rest. Essentially, God had given them a limited amount of information. Why did he do that? Because they were supposed to look to him to see what work looked like. They were supposed to look to him to see what rest from work looked like. God gave these patterns to his people, meaning for them to draw the patterns from him himself. And he has given us his son, Jesus, to show us what work and rest look like. We would rather have a list of do's and don'ts. I think most of us, if we were honest, we would say, I'd rather have a checklist that I can do. And that's what the Pharisees were more comfortable with. So that's what they created. And in doing so, they missed the whole point. What we are called to as God's people is not a checklist, but a daily apprenticeship to Jesus. We're called to learn from him, to sit at his feet like we've been doing right now as we read about what he did. To say, this is what it looks like to extend mercy to others. And this is what Jesus does for me. That's what it it is for me to receive that mercy. I am the one who is a person with a withered hand, neglected and abused. And yet Jesus comes alongside and heals and restores. In doing this, in looking at Jesus, we learn that our rest is not self-centered rest. The rest that we're given in God is not put up your feet, take a load off, enjoy. It is great joy, and it is restful. But it's not centered on ourself. It's centered on Jesus. And because it's centered on Jesus, it's inherently other-centered. We rest together as God's people. Likewise, work is not self-centered but Jesus centered and therefore other centered this kind of work and rest rhythm that we're called to in the Sabbath that's centered on Jesus and therefore centered on others is really just fulfillment of the greatest commandment and the second one, right? Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're called to do. We're called to do that in daily apprenticeship to Jesus. We're called to do that as we experience the mercy that he gives and then turn around and extend that mercy to others. Let's pray and ask God to help us do that. Father, thank you. Thank you for the merciful provision of rest in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that it does not depend on us, but it depends on another And that we just get to be the beneficiaries. We just get to enjoy. Lord, help us learn to enjoy that rest in Jesus. Guard us from seeking rest elsewhere. For seeking self-centered rest. Help us experience what it truly is to rest in Christ. To take his yoke knowing that his burden is light. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done in giving us rest. I pray that you would help us know what it means then to extend out of that rest merciful goodness to those around us. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. On our own, we will utterly fail. And so I pray that you would do what only you can do in us by your Holy Spirit at work. Would you help us, we pray. Amen.